Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you've been listening to this show, finding value in it, how about you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show? Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And speaking of five-star reviews, I'd like to give a thanks to PCV Rach, who says, extremely informative, exciting, and helpful. I was recently invited to serve in the Peace Corps, Ukraine 2020, exclamation point, and listening to this podcast helped me prepare for my interview and is keeping me motivated and focused as I wade through all of the doctor's appointments, paperwork, and government hoops and wait to leave next August. Thank you so much for this wonderful resource. Well, Rach, thank you for leaving the review and best of luck as you wade through all that paperwork. And yeah, uh, it'll get better. It'll get better. Uh, So congrats to you for being accepted into the Peace Corps and thank you for the review. On this week's episode of the podcast, I sit down with a new colleague of mine, Katie McNamara, and we talk about her Peace Corps service in Namibia. As soon as I heard that she was a Peace Corps volunteer, definitely piqued my interest, but then I heard she was in Namibia, a country that I have not had a story from. So of course, she had to come on the podcast. Without further ado, here's this week's episode. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. Hi, my name's Katie, and I'm from Boston. I served in Namibia, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Katie, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Tyler? Doing well. Uh, excited to learn about your service. Uh, we're, we're now we're now colleagues, and I have conned you into to coming on this podcast. And I know you served in Namibia. You did ag? Were you doing ag? I did education. Education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a math and science teacher, primarily. There we go. I did go. a lot of other things that as, weren't math and science. But. As, as volunteers do. Yes. But I'm excited to learn more about your service. Yeah, I haven't really thought about my service since I've gotten back in, like a year ago. So it would be good to talk it through. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start off by letting everybody know... Why you joined the Peace Corps? I joined the Peace Corps because I wanted to be a strong, independent woman. I heard a lot of stories from one of my previous English teachers. His name is Ben Berman. He actually has a book out there called Strange Borderlands, and he served in Zimbabwe. And when I read his poetry book, I was pretty inspired. Um, And... At the end of my time at the University of Vermont, although I did love going to school there, I kind of found a sense of loss of passion and felt like I wanted to kind of find myself as some Peace Corps volunteers do when they go to service. So I decided to apply. And when I first applied, I applied to Liberia because they had a math and science program, but then I couldn't go there. So I just 
said, put me anywhere, and they put me in Namibia, and I've never heard of Namibia before, so I had to research it, and I was like, okay, sounds cool. Mm-hmm. I also hadn't heard of Burkina Faso, but Namibia, I mean, Namibia is massive. It's so large. Namibia is about twice the size of California, and the second, de- de- second least densely populated country in the world. Number one, Mongolia. Mongolia, yes. And Namibia has only about two million people. So. That's not a lot of people. No, it's not. <laughs> so you said you were education. Were you in a rural village somewhere in between? Like a I town? was in the bush. <laughs> uh, so what, what does that mean? So in Namibia, there is one long black tar road, and it's called the B1. And it runs from let's say, Luteritz, which is the south of Namibia, all the way to the north of Namibia um, in Owambo land out towards... Um, Namibia has this arm on it that runs towards Zambia. Um, it's called Katima. And off of that tar road, there aren't any other roads, so you just drive through the bush. And if you drive about say, an hour and a half through the bush, then you'll find my house. Maybe. I, I, I visited, That's my experience. <laughs> I visited volunteers that had uh, very similar experiences. I lived in a, a large town, but were you living in like a mud hut, like traditional, traditional, or what was your living situation? I lived in a cement block house with a zinc roof, so it got really, really hot. Um... It was called Teacher's Housing, and when I first moved in, I had three male roommates, and I met them, and I was I looked at my supervisor, and I was like, is this allowed? Am I, like, young 22-year-old female, like, am I allowed to live with three Namibian males, like, as a Peace Corps volunteer? Is that really policy? So I didn't really bring it up at first, because they all seemed very, very nice guys, and they were. They were my brothers. They took care of me. Um, we eventually had one of them move to a different school and then we, I got a new female roommate who is like my sister. Um, but we lived about a minute walk away from the school and between our house and the school was the clinic. So everything was very close together and I was very connected with my community because kids would walk to and from school past my house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very interesting that you were living with other people who, Weren't, weren't a family because most a lot of volunteers have host families, but you were living with just three other single guys in, in a house. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they actually taught me how to cook traditional meals, which is kind of funny because in Namibia, men don't cook. Mm-hmm. But when you're a teacher and you're not living at home, they have no other choice. Um, but I did have a host family in my village. It was actually my um the life science teacher at my school and he would have me over for the holidays or on weekends sometimes and his kids were about my age and they were very traditional Um, they taught me how to harvest mahangu which is the the grain that they harvest and grow to make their traditional porridge which they call pop um and i learned a lot of farming skills from them Mm -hmm. yeah but 
not well versed in the traditional lifestyle because I wasn't lucky, I guess lucky, like other volunteers to live with a host family. Mm-hmm. And what does Namibia even look like? Is it pretty flat? Is it mountainous? Is it rolling hills? Is it green? Is it desert? I have no idea. Um, it's contrasting beautiful Namibia, actually. So it's very flat where I lived, very sandy, sand and everything. Um, Namibia also is home to Fish River Canyon, which is the second largest canyon in the world. And I actually hiked it. It took us about five days. That was very fun. Tiring, but fun. Um, And they have a mountain range called the Namib Nakluft, which is pretty tiresome too. I didn't get to do that one, but a lot of volunteers do. And then they have what's called the Skeleton Coast, um, where you can actually climb the Namib Desert Dunes and look out over the ocean in Swakopmund and Wallace Bay. And then if you go down to um, Luteritz... They have the Crayfish Festival every year. It's a big fishing community. It's all by the water. Yeah. So. And I got to travel to a lot of those places because I was lucky to be on different committees within the Peace Corps with mm-hmm. other volunteers to be able to travel and it be considered service. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to take vacation days to do that. Always a nice benefit. Very, very nice benefit. Yes. And in your community, teaching math and science, what did that look like? Did you have a nine to five routine? Were you the only teacher in the classroom? Were you co-teaching? What does it mean for you to be a teacher in Peace Corps? So let's say like a typical day. Mm-hmm. I taught about 40 classes a week, which is a lot. It's a big workload, but I taught only eighth grade math and sixth grade math. Um, I was teaching physical science at first when I first got there, but it was more of an English lesson and the kids weren't really getting the concepts from me because of my accent. So I found it a lot easier to just teach math Mm -hmm. and they progressed a lot quicker than they did in physical science. So I actually worked with other teachers to help them create their work plan for those classes. But a typical day was I would get to school around 7.30 and then... I would be on my feet all day in the classroom by myself, whether it was like a cement block classroom or a zinc shack classroom, Um, trudging through the sand in my sandals. A lot of teachers wore like stilettos. I was like, I don't know how you're doing this in stilettos. But um, I taught art, reading, math, science. I would tutor kids between classes if they had questions. I never sat down for a minute from 7 a.m. until like 2.30. And then from 2.30 to 4, kids would have study hall. And all the teachers at the school would leave. And I was the only one that stayed at school. And all the kids would come and ask me, all their like homework questions because study hall is supposed to be like the teachers go to the classroom and help kids with things that they're struggling with but all the teachers just went home because they just sometimes at the end of the semester they're like oh my god I have no hope nobody's gonna pass any exams but my kids passed because I stayed and I helped them 
And I, I have results to show it, too. Did you ever call out these other teachers and be like, guys, what do you think you're supposed to stay? Or did you feel that, okay, it's probably not my place to... It's not my place. And I also, all of them were like family to me. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to call them out. And they were all older. So, you know, respect your elders. It's a big part of the culture there. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't going to call them out. But they did point me out in several teachers meetings for having really good grades in my classes and I was like yeah because I stay after school every day and I help them the way that study halls meant to be treated Mm -hmm. (laughs) but towards the end of the semester is like there were no kids in the classroom after three o'clock they were just all running around playing games I was just like there's okay I'm not gonna get any of the kids to go in the classroom so Mm -hmm. but I did as much as I could while I could with mm-hmm. what I could. As a volunteer does. As a volunteer does. <laughs> and what about side projects? What else were you doing? It sounds like you were working like crazy while at school, but you still probably found yourself with a lot of downtime or just time that you felt that you needed to be doing something else. What were some of those side projects? So my first year, I got involved with a program called Youth Exploring and Achieving in Health. And I went to the camp and I saw the way that the volunteers from the cohort before me ran it. And I went up to them and I was like, I want to run this next year. And they said, okay, cool. So I took that on pretty early in my service. And that grew into something bigger to where it wasn't just... A multi-regional camp, but regional camps. So within Owambo land, we had like, I don't know, seven regions, something like that. And by the end of my service, we had held three different camps and had planned to have camps held regionally. So when I was serving and with the volunteers in my cohort, we trained volunteers from the next group to be able to take the curriculum and either just do it at their school over a weekend or do it region-wide with the volunteers that were in their region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the camps that we did were on HIV, AIDS awareness, and teenage pregnancy prevention. Do you feel that they were effective or at least the students were receptive to... So the way that we made it sustainable is to pick like two to three leaders from or kids that we saw could be a leader within our schools to take to camp to meet kids from other schools. And they would learn leadership qualities, um, goal setting, things that they can do to help bring confidence to other kids that they're friends with at school or have the tools to start a club to be able to raise awareness um, at their school. Mm-hmm. Because it was really hard for us to get teacher involvement or people from just different stakeholders because they were they had such a heavy workload as teachers or as a health official. They really put all the work on our shoulders and we the results that we gave them were through different monitoring and evaluation reports that we provided and they just slowly started to see how effective it was Mm -hmm. 
at producing results only because they started coming to the camps and seeing the confidence that these kids had to be able to talk about sensitive topics. Mm-hmm. And because this is the My Peace Corps Story podcast, you've, yeah. you've been talking a little bit about some stories and, and experiences. Do you have any favorite stories that you love telling? Uh, cultural moments, funny things that happen, something that is that you just enjoy telling? Or maybe you haven't been telling too many stories in the past year since you've been back. Well, my favorite story is definitely from when I first joined and got sent to my school. I served at Oshala Combined School, and they had about 600 kids. And when I first got there, my principal wasn't around. Um, and my the name that was given to me in the local language was Nalago, which means lucky. And as soon as I introduced myself to the school at assembly, um, I said, And then I told them that my name was Nelago. And they just burst out laughing. And I was like, oh my God, did I say it wrong? Like, what did I do? And all the teachers were laughing and everyone was just laughing at me. And I was just like, I had this huge smile on my face because it was like, Hey, I did it. I, I spoke in, in, in Oshuambo and everybody loved it. Great. Somebody came up to me and was like, that's the name of the principal of our school. And I had no idea. But she wasn't around. So people just like walked around and started calling me like the principal, Principal Nilago. I was like, I'm not here to be the principal and take over. <laughs> like, that's not the point. But it, that was one of my favorite stories because... It just brought so much joy to me, and it's actually one of the stories that I shared on my blog, like one of the first blog posts that I made, because I felt so welcome, mm-hmm. um, But because everyone in the community after that, too, because all the kids would go home and tell their parents, our new teacher's name is Nilago, and that's, that's how I was introduced to the community, and it's one of my favorite parts. Mm-hmm. And how, how did you get that name? My name came from the host family that I had when I was doing my community-based training. Okay. I ha- I've had like three different, three or four different host families while I was living in Namibia. One during my training in Ventuk in the city, mm-hmm. and then one during my community-based training outside of the city, but with the same local language that I was learning, which is Oshivambo, or Oshindonga, which is one of the dialects specifically. And then I had another host family, just the Tate that I stayed with Mm -hmm. from my school on the holidays. How many languages are in Namibia? There's a lot. (laughs) Um... I don't know if I could name them all and do them justice. There's Oshivambo, which has seven dialects, and that is most of the northern northern regions mm-hmm. of Namibia. And then there's um, other Bantu languages across the north that border Angola that go through like Katima. And then in the south is mostly Afrikaans and and. I don't know. I think that's what the San people 
No, the San speak Kwekwekwap, which is kind of like a click language. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a huge German Afrikaan influence in the South, not so much where I was living in the North, mm-hmm. in Owambo land. And do they have a colonial language? Is it English? The the language... Like the um, national... English, yeah. English. English. Okay. And did you ever struggle as a Peace Corps volunteer? Or what were some of your struggles? Definitely. All volunteers struggle. Yeah, I've never met someone who's like, oh, it was great. It's like, you're lying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what were some of those struggles, if you're able to speak to them? Well, one that's a little bit more lighthearted is I had a dog when I first joined um, Peace Corps. I got it from my best friend, Laura, from Peace Corps. We kind of... I got through Peace Corps because of her. Um, She would let me come to her host family's house on the weekends when I felt like I was really alone because the other teachers would leave and they would go home and I would be alone in my house and I just didn't want to be in the village on the weekend alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I would go to her house and she lived with a host family. So they became kind of like my family. And I saw this little puppy and I was like, oh my God, Mei Mei, can I have it? I really, I, I'm so lonely. I need a dog. And she was like, of course you can have it. So I took the dog and I called it um, Dapewa, which means gift, because she had gifted it to me. And I took her home. And within a year, she was like so big and fat. And all the teachers were making fun of me saying, <laughs> she's pregnant, she's pregnant. And I was like, no, she's not. And then she went into heat And, like, this dog followed me to school, into the classroom, came to assembly with me. She came into the teacher's room and just, like, sat under my desk, under my chair. And she was my little guard dog. And she ended up having five puppies on my birthday. A year after I'd lived there. She was one year old and she had five puppies. And I came home that night because it was my birthday. So I was kind of celebrating with some of my, some of the volunteers and some of the family that I had made there. And one of the puppies was like, I had to bury it because it was mm-hmm. dead. And that was one of the hardest things to to do because it's just a little guy. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was hard. And I ended up leaving Lucy in Namibia with my host family because I didn't want to bring her back to the American way of life, put her on a leash, make her eat dog food. Mm -hmm. She's just such a free spirit. And my host family takes really good care of her, although they do eat dog in Namibia. Some some people think it's a delicacy. But I was like, please don't eat her. And they were like, okay. (laughs) Did you ever eat dog while in Namibia? Not that I know of. Okay. (laughs) Hopefully not. You never know. You never know. But I ate a lot of goat. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of goat. You a fan of goat? Um, when it's bride. Like, when it's barbecued. Yeah. Not when it's boiled and there's still, like, hairy goat pieces on it. That's pretty disgusting. Yeah. But you get accustomed to it if it's the only thing that they have to eat at the wedding you know Mm -hmm. well while you may not miss hairy boiled goat 
Mm-hmm. Are there things that you you do miss from either your just being in Namibia or the lifestyle you had there, being a Peace Corps volunteer? I never thought I would ever say this, but I really do miss eating oshifima and soup. It's like the blandest thing ever, but just the just the act of doing it, I miss it because when I was really, really hungry, all I would want is oshifima and soup, and you would feel so full and fat and happy after. Depends who makes it, but mm-hmm. like as long as there's no sand in it, that's when it's or, or like bits of bones. The bone shards. Ugh, it's the worst. You learn to to chew kind of softly. As you're eating your food, yep. just to make sure. While you your Tate's sitting next to you, like chewing on the goat bone marrow from his, mm-hmm. <laughs> from his dinner. Like, no thanks, you can have all of that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you tried to make it since being back in the U.S.? I have not, but they do sell Meme Mahangu, like maize meal, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't going to bring back any Mahangu grain. Yeah, no. Probably not allowed. You could probably still bring it in, though. You could bring it in. I'm sure. Yeah. If you checked it, but I brought all sorts. I took the long way home. I traveled for like three months before I came home, so I wasn't gonna cart around a cart around a big bag of mahangu. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Is there anything that you feel that you've learned about yourself through Peace Corps? I think the biggest lesson that I learned was that I don't like being alone. Like, I really thought I wanted to go have this disconnected, isolated experience so I could find myself. But what I found that I was, like, way more connected to not only the culture in Namibia, but also my family in the States everyone was connected with me through Facebook and Instagram and always asking about how I was doing or what I was doing or the cultural norms, people that I hadn't talked to in years since like high school or like freshman year of college were messaging me, asking me about like my recent posts, like, what are you eating? Or where are you? Like, I just, and I loved sharing it with people so much that I decided to join the media committee mm-hmm. and share the culture from my perspective. And we made a lot of videos about language and the culture and the food mm-hmm. in different regions of Namibia that I described earlier. And it just had a much more meaningful take to my service because instead of, I don't know, going home and being alone on the weekend, I actually got to pursue a passion. Mm-hmm. Did you like multimedia projects and that sort of creative side pre-Peace Corps? I did. I've always been a big fan of like a picture says a thousand words, mm-hmm. but I'm really bad at like making albums and sharing things. And this really forced me to learn about photography and videography and not just taking pictures with your iPhone and having a million of the same picture, you know, like really savoring the good picture and like 
taking capturing a moment mm-hmm. or a story. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to share with the the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast? Any nuggets of wisdom from being a Peace Corps volunteer or other stories that maybe you thought of as you were telling your, your stories? I think it's really, it was very daunting to apply and have no expectations in the beginning, but it, that's the biggest lesson I've learned in my whole Peace Corps experience and I even carried it back into America with me is have no expectations and just be really patient and listen and learn about where you are don't try to do anything right off the bat because people won't take you seriously like they just really want to know you and they want you to be part of their family and that's Namibia Namibians and in my community just really got to know me and they considered me part of their family. And then that's when they really started to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. And to end out the close out the show, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share? I think my favorite thing to say that would make everyone smile in the, in the classroom or anywhere, it was just to say thank you very much, and but you can carry it on as long as you want, and you say tangiu nene, or you can say tangiu nene 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 nene. Well, thank you very much for for coming on the show. Thank you. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. Thank you for spending some time with me. And thank you, Katie, for coming on the show and sharing a little bit about your service in Namibia. If you are a current or returned Peace Corps volunteer and have a story you'd like to share on the podcast, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and uh, find one of those buttons to share your service or share your story. Click it, fill out the form, and I will be in touch when I have my next batch of recordings. Thank you very much again for supporting the show with your listen. Hopefully you've subscribed to the show so you get a brand new episode when I release them. Hopefully you've left a review on Apple Podcast and hopefully you've had an amazing day so far. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, remember every volunteer has a story. What's yours?